Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the Save now, Father. Save now. Thank you for the worship experience today. As we settle our hearts and our minds now to partake in this preaching moment, we do pray that you would illuminate them both, that we may hear and see what your spirit has to say to the church. Give our pastor preaching permission and preaching power. Keep him behind the cross that we may see you, Jesus, and you only. We thank you, and to this end, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to spend some more time in that chapter of this book today. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we are in a four-week series uh, titled The Five-Star Church. And today we are going to wrestle with this topic, The Five-Star Church and the Secret of Contentment. The Five-Star Church and the Secret of Contentment. Do you pray for your pastor during the week? Well, it's very important if you want to hear from God on Sunday morning that you start early in the week, amen, asking God to saturate his mind because you need a word. And I believe God will speak to you. Philippians 4, if you have it, say, I'm ready, Reverend. Verse 10 is where we will launch today. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at your last at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that I speak in regard to need for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can. I can. I can. I can, I can, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, who strengthens me. Look at somebody, tell them you're going to make it today. You're going to make it today. Amen. You may be seated. The five star church and the secret of contentment. 
It's not too late for children's church. If you have a son or a daughter that you like to go to children's church, it's a good time right now. In our introduction today, family, Paul is closing out his letter to the church. And he wants to say thank you for their undying service and support for him. In this thank you, he gives us a picture of humility and appreciation for the body. And I want to chime in right here this morning saying to you, New Beginnings, that I appreciate you. I love you. And I'm grateful for your love, your fellowship, and the support you provide to me for the preaching of the gospel. Like Paul, I too recognize today I could have done all the stuff we've done in Fresno over these six years if it wasn't for a faithful few like you. Thank you for having a heart for the gospel. Thank you for caring about the widows and the poor. Thank you for going into the prisons, for making care packages, for serving poor college students. Thank you, New Beginnings, for you look just like Philippi. You've not only cared for one another, but you've cared for the gospel. And that's why I just want you to know how much I love you. As Paul is preaching in this text, it's important for us to remember that just as Paul was appreciative of the service and gifts of one another, is that you too ought to have the same spirit for one another. Can I turn the light on? You know what keeps drama out of the church? Love for one another. Appreciating one another. You do know people don't have to be nice to you. And if somebody be nice to you, you ought to take the time to tell them thank you. If they sent you a card when you were sick, thank you. If they text you while you were in need of something, tell them thank you. If they took time to cook meals and culinary arts and to serve you, you ought not complain about what's being fed. You ought to say thank you. That somebody would even think enough to serve you. Because I can name a number of churches where you go in, but you ain't getting nothing. Come on, talk to me. You ought to be thank you. I think this is a good commercial. Just look at that. Look at five people and tell them thank you. You know who they are. You, you want to thank them for something. Now's a good time. It'll just do us good to imitate the church at Philippi. Now, if ain't nobody told you thank you, that's because you probably ain't did nothing for nobody. But you ought to say under your heart, I'm going to fix that today. Amen. I'm going to fix that today. Today's sermon is going to look at how a great five-star church can be appreciated by its leadership, but also by its members. And there are just two points today I want to wrestle with, but they're heavy points. Amen? One in Paul's uh, dissertation, for lack of uh, words here, he rejoices in the spirit of the church. 
And then number two, he reflects. He what family? He rejoices and he, he reflects. So I need you to study with me intently today. Verse 10 is where we will pick off. Notice what he says. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. When we come to this portion of the text, Paul declares for us, brothers and sisters, as he rejoices, that the Lord has again renewed the church's concern for him. He's saying, literally, I'm happy that y'all got refocused. I'm happy that you picked up your concern again for me while I was in the field. It almost implies, Brother Deacons, that they almost forgot about him while he was over in Thessalonica. Because sometimes, out of sight, don't mean we don't love you, we just don't see you. Can I put a commercial in right there? So don't get mad when people don't call you and you've been missing for six weeks. It don't mean we don't love you, it just means we ain't seen you. Am I making sense here? But I'm so glad that today we ought to renew our concern for those members who ain't here. Come on, make a little note to yourself. You ain't seen them? Put right there, renew mine to call sister so-and-so. I'm talking about a five-star church here. All right. It's good, brothers and sisters, for a church to get renewed over her members. And it's also good, as Paul mentions here, for her to get renewed in her stewardship. Y'all with me here? So they have once started out supporting the mission work, but then they lacked now the renewed mind to continue to do it. So here Paul is rejoicing in God, Brother Johnny, that their mind has been renewed about stewardship. Y'all in here with me? It's good for a church to be renewed about giving. Why? Because that's what Christians do. We give. Can I say that again? That's in our DNA. As Christians, we ought to always be giving. Not giving people a hard time. Come on, talk to me. But giving them our love, our support, our encouragement. Amen. They ought to know you are a Christian by how you give. Amen. It's good for a church to get renewed also about sending and about supporting and about showing love and hospitality. This afternoon, Reverend Tate's not here, but he's preaching at the rest home. Somebody should go and support the preacher while he preaches. Another preacher is preaching in children's church. Somebody every now and then ought to slip up and go. Amen. You ought to travel. You ought to be engaged in the work of the ministry, showing your support. See, when a church gets renewed, service can live again. True service unto the Lord is always marked new beginnings by giving and givers. Y'all catch that right there? And when the body of Christ is compelled by the Lord to move on his behalf, there is usually an action tied to the motivation. 
I've noticed something about the church. Sitting down don't really go with being a church member. We are a volunteer army of givers and servers. Are you listening here? That's why it's impossible to sit at home and watch TV and call it church. The two don't go together. Because in the local body, you are always called to give of your time, your talent, your expertise, your gifts, your treasures. Why? Because we are a giving body where God calls us to serve and to support. If you're in here today and you're not sending or supporting or giving, you're not a five-star member. You may be a half-star member, but you're a... I couldn't think of no other way to say it, Brother David. But I don't know about you, but I got it on my list to be a five-star member. Ask your neighbor, how many stars do you have today? How many? <laughs> I almost said, ask him, do you got a star I can borrow? I can... All I'm trying to say is that this church in Philippi was a giving church. This church, she was a, a serving church. This church was a church that was generous. And all of these things mark a believer's walk in Christ. See, we should resemble this church. Because she had all the qualities of a godly ministry. She was a five-star church. And Paul rejoiced that God had given him the privilege to be a part of such an amazing congregation. And I think I'll just pause right there and tell you, boy, I'm the most blessed pastor in the city. Ain't no church like New Beginning, Sister Nichols. No, ain't no church. Amen. I'll brag on that, y'all. Amen. I know it ain't good to boast, but forgive me. Amen. I boast right there. Amen. It's a wonderful church God has given us. And if you're proud of it, come on, let's praise God for your church this morning. Hallelujah. And if you're not, then maybe you should leave. Make room for somebody else that want to celebrate. Amen. I'm, you know, I wouldn't be in a restaurant that wouldn't feed me, right? I wouldn't support a team that couldn't win. Come on, talk to me. I wouldn't go to a tailor who didn't make my suit right. Then why are you going to be in a church that you don't like? I want to be a five-star member. Because I'm in a five-star church. Won't you high-five somebody right there? Tell them, that's good, Reverend. That's just good. So Paul rejoices. Paul rejoices. He rejoices. But then in verse 11, he exercises what I call the spiritual dis discipline of recollection or reflection. And this is real good because in the spiritual disciplines that we study, a lot of us oftentimes overlook this one. We don't stop to pause, to get away, to just reflect on what God has done for us, has done through us, 
and is doing to us. But Paul, maybe it's because he's in prison. I don't know. He ain't got nothing but time. I don't know, right? But he takes the time to reflect on how his relationship is with this church and what they've done for him. In verse 11, he says, now, I don't speak in regard to my needs, for I've learned, you should circle that word, learned, in whatever, <laughs> yes, state I'm in, to be content. When we come here, New Beginnings, to this portion of the text, the reader can get excited to see the spiritual formation of Paul. See, Paul is reflecting on what his experience has been in those times of suffering and those times of prosperity. In other words, he says um, what he has learned from this experience. We learn that from his statement Servants with grateful hearts, yes, they work at recognizing humility. We learned that Paul is not just asking for help here, but he's remembering the church's gifts. And he can, he can recall how it was before they renewed their giving for him. And how he had to struggle in life's various situations. We can learn here that servants who are content with what they have and, and who they are, they can live in any situation and see the Lord's work in spite of their current circumstances. In other words, in other words, outside forces can't shake these type of Christians. Because the whatsoever covers everything. Am I making sense in that? Y'all tracking with me? Uh, Daughter Lisa, uh, when, when a man or a woman of God has learned to be content in whatsoever, outside voices don't make them fearful. Because the economy is changing. They ain't, they ain't panicking. Are you with me here? When, when outside offenses don't influence you, then you know you've learned how to live in the whatsoever state of mind. Also, I learned in this text, Reverend Tong, and I hope you'll appreciate this, is that this verse implies, son, that contentment is a learned behavior. It don't come just because you get born again. It comes by way of schoolmaster. In other words, when you signed up to follow Christ, you signed up to be a disciple. And the first teacher you get is the instructor called contentment. Can I say some more? We learn in this verse, Brown, that contentment is both caught and is taught. I'm going to say more about that in the next verse. When one is content... Sister Gray, they found the secret to the sacred life. Can I say that again? When one gets content, they found the secret to the sacred life. See, Paul was in prison, but yet able to find contentment in a situation. How many of us could do that? No, but because of Jesus who lived on the inside, he was able to endure whatever came his way. 
Notice what he says, uh, Sister McBee, he said, he said, I have learned it. Y'all caught that there? In other words, I studied it. Brother Branch, it taught me. It brought me. Contentment did. Contentment shaped me. Contentment nursed me. Contentment changed me. Contentment walked with me and talked with me. It led me in the way. Why? Because contentment is a learned behavior for a disciple who's a soldier on mission with God. If you ever met a believer who's not content, that's because they dropped out of class with contentment. Because contentment makes you learn hard stuff. I wish I had a witness here. It's good for a five-star church to recognize that contentment is what brings joy in the congregation. It's good for a five-star church to exercise contentment in a world that's filled with challenges. It's good for a church to embrace contentment in a world of persecution. See, it's good for a five-star church to walk in contentment so that she may remain focused on the things of God and not the things of this world. Can I say some more? Contentment can keep your heart and mind settled in a greed-saturated world. Contentment can keep your heart and mind Settle, Jasmine, in a give-me-now culture. Contentment can keep your heart and mind settled in a possession-poised planet. While everybody else is running after the riches of this world, contentment rocks the child of God to sleep. Come on, talk to me. I've noticed that when everyone else is not satisfied, the child of God can be content where they are and who they are and where they're going for Jesus. Can I say some more? When everyone else is trying to claw their way to the top, the child of God can be satisfied in holy contentment because their desire for secular fulfillment don't exist. When everyone else, Deacon Rocha, is trying to live by the standards of the world, we can be content to live by the standards of the kingdom because we've learned that whatsoever state we are in, we can be content. I feel my help up here. Can I give you verse 12? Verse 12 says, after he makes this alarming statement, he says, I've learned how to be content. And then he just calls the roll here. He said, and I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere. And in all things. He says it again. I've learned. You see that there? Circle it again. Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. When we come to verse 12, don't want you to read that too fast. Paul, yes, he continues to reflect on the education of his contentment, but he does something very strange with the word learned. The word learned used in verse 11 
It's the same word learned used in verse 12, but it has a completely different definition. Can I give you an example? When I say my dog at home, Smokey, did this, you know I'm talking about an animal. But when I say my dog named Dean and I hung out, we had a good time going to Starbucks. You know I'm talking about my brother. Same word, different meaning. Y'all with me here? Learned in verse 11 is the same word as verse 12, but it has a different meaning. In verse 12, the word is used to describe how a person receives a certain secret in order to unlock something. Are y'all in here? In verse 11, the word learned is used as a didactic form of instruction. In other words, it's one thing to learn from a teacher who's in front of you giving you notes. But it's another thing to learn from experiential instruction. Okay, I missed some of y'all. I learned from my mama not to do certain things because she told me. But I got the lesson better when she whooped me. Same mama. Same lesson. Two different meanings. Are y'all in here now? See, you can know a thing from reading about it. But you can know know a thing by going through it. Hey, I got some learned people in here. Paul was saying that he learned the secret to living the Christian life when he went through the sacred rituals of suffering. I forgot a very important piece here I need to give you. Now, contextually speaking, when Paul uses this word, it was a word, Reverend Brown, that was used in the ancient method of the mysterious cults and secret societies. Secret societies had ways in which they informed their cults. They had to go through rituals. He's using the same terminology so that you can understand how he got to the point to learn the mystery of contentment. Y'all in here yet? Paul is saying, yeah, this is the way, Angelus. I learned to walk in the way of Christ. It wasn't just what I've gotten by knowledge or revelation, but it's what I experienced as a minister of Christ. I don't do this often in my sermons, but if you'll run over with me to 2 Corinthians verse 11, chapter 20, um, verse 23 and 33, hold your hand in Philippians 4, I'm coming back. It's important because Paul reveals to you how he learned what he learned. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 33. He says, are all ministers of Christ? Well, I'm speaking as a fool because I'm much more than they are. In laborers, I labored more abundant. In stripes, whippings, or beatings, I got more than any of them. In prisons, I outserved all the time they could ever serve. And I've been threatened with death often. 
Verse 24, he says of the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes. They beat me. 25, he said thrice or three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. And I was at night and a day out in the ocean. 26, he said, in journeys often, in perils of waters. Perils is a word for trouble. In troubles of robbers. In troubles with my own countrymen. In trouble by heathens. In troubles in the city. In troubles in the wilderness. In troubles in the sea. In troubles among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and in thirst. In fastings often. In cold and in nakedness. And besides all of that, which came upon me daily, I've got the care of all the churches. Y'all listening here? He's revealing to us the secret to the sacred life, which is contentment. Now, I need to park the car and tell you here that if you ain't going through nothing, you're probably not going to learn nothing. Did that come out right? Okay. Paul is saying here he had to learn to be content in the things he had to deal with. Can I turn the light on? He didn't always try to fix it. Or wiggle his way out of uncomfortable positions. I'm glad he wasn't North American. Because the first little jam we get into, amen. We run to get along. Come on, talk to me. Or we quit the church. Or we run to the bingo palace to try to make a quick hit. Come on, talk to me. We, we don't want to. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Am I listening here? We try to find a way to fix it. Oh, but I'll stop by to tell you here, family, that the secret here in the Philippian church is for the Christian to understand that the sacred life of contentment only comes through suffering. The life of contentment, family, is the sacred life that's lived in the freedom, watch this now, from being possessed by your possessions. It's one thing to have some stuff. It's another thing when the stuff have you. You can't give to the church because the stuff got you. Y'all listening here? Your toys and your temporary joys have you in possession. You don't have the car. The car got you. Amen. You, you, you want to give to mission, but the car payment got it. Come on, talk to me. And the car payment got it because you didn't budget right. Are you listening here? You bought something you couldn't afford. It was eye candy. And everybody else had one. But everybody else got better jobs. And now you find yourself in a dilemma. God, I want to give. But the stuff I feel like you're blessing me with has possessed me. Can I turn the light on? If 
it's possessed you, God probably didn't give it to you. Can't never, he ain't talking about you. He just talking about contentment. He just talking about contentment. Paul says, I learned it. Then he gives a role. I learned how to be a base. Now that's not a good American word, amen. We don't, we don't want to be a base, amen. We, well, what, what does it mean, Pastor? It means poor, struggling, broke. Come on, everybody know that, broke. Amen. So poor you can't pay attention, amen, right? You, you in need. You have nothing. He said, I learned how to live like that. That's a Christian, one of the greatest Christians they ever lived, right? And if Paul had to learn it, you know we're going to have to learn it. He says he's learned these lessons in life. And the lessons entailed him being broke. God was with him, though. Can I say some more? In these times. Sister Bunch, because he was broke, the Lord didn't leave him. No, y'all got to hear me in here. Sometimes God want to keep you broke. Yeah. If it means you'll learn contentment. I lost all my amens right there. Your pastor ain't preaching prosperity today, is he? God kept the greatest missionary that ever was abased. That he might learn the secret of the sacred life. He says, he says, he says, uh, oh, help me, Holy Ghost. He, 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 want, he wants you and I to know that, yes, God can still be with you in your ministry times. God will still answer your prayers even though he ain't giving you what you want. Can I spend a minute there, Sister Rita? Can I just spend a minute there, daughter? Some of us think that because God ain't giving us stuff, he ain't hearing our prayers. That's just on the contrary. He is hearing your prayer. And that's why he ain't giving you stuff. Because if he knew if he gave you stuff, you won't stay in the class of contentment. God ain't trying to take you where you want to go. He's trying to take you where he wants you to go. And sometimes the best vehicle is being broke. Saying no to the stuff you think you want. Now, last week I shouted you, amen. I gave you the good news. He promised to supply all your needs. And that's why I put the sermons out of order like that, amen. You that came back this week thinking, yeah, I'm going to find out some more. No, this week I'm telling you, God wants to enroll some of you in the broke ministry. I like it because his sermons were still good even when he was broke listen y'all he didn't have no house tell somebody he lost the apartment didn't have a chariot lost the chariot didn't have a bank account Zuniga. lost the bank account he was still God's man 
even when he was homeless and in prison. His God ain't changed. Y'all ain't looking at me. Y'all like, oh, Lord, no. Yeah, yeah. His sermon still preached, even when he was broke. I almost said something, but I won't say it. No, y'all ain't getting me in there. Y'all ain't getting me in there. Here's what I want you to know. True contentment only comes through suffering. Come on, give me get a few more amens in there. Sister Ross, he also learned, daughter, how to abound. You see that there? He said, I've learned how to have plenty. And I've learned how to be full. I learned how to be on top. I had seasons where I was doing good. And I had good seasons where I had enough to supply my needs. It wasn't that God didn't take care of me. He knew when to give me what he wanted to give me. But the lesson don't come without suffering. Paul is literally for us right here, sons and daughters, he's literally revealing to us how to have the balance of ministry. Brother Bruce, Sister Mary, hear me on this. As we plant the New Covenant International Church, sometimes you're going to have it, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes, Bruce, you have to suffer, son, and most times you're going to have more ministry than you have money. There will always be more needs than you can meet. So you got to trust God. Anybody up in here with me? Anybody trying to raise kids and you ain't got enough income to make it meet? You go always have more needs than you have money. But in order to sustain and survive that ministry, you got to understand how to live the sacred life, which is the life of contentment. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost, just a little while. And that means they don't get the, the new Jordans, but they get the uh, Ordens. Amen. You know, the ones without the J. Come on, talk to me. And that means you don't get the new car, but you get the used one with 400,000 miles on it. Come on, talk to me. You learn how to be content. Can I turn the light on? I know some of y'all waiting for Mr. Wright to walk up in here. And you got your list, amen. And you want him tall and you want him dark and handsome. And you want him to have this and you want him to have that. Well, if he come in and he's short. And he ain't tall, this or that. But he love the Lord. And Jesus is first on his list. You got to take it. And learn how to be I'm trying to help somebody here today. The child of God must be content with whatever position the Lord has them in and whatsoever season he has them in. Can I tell the truth here? It's a hard life, but it's a sacred life. It's the life of contentment. I remember when Sister Wilson... And now I got married. She didn't sign up to marry no preacher. God had to do that after she said I do. We was married one week. Y'all didn't hear me. 
one weekend the Lord called me to preach. Disturb my life and turn her world upside down. Y'all to pray for her. She's had to learn the sacred life, which is the life of contentment. Can I argue my point right here? Reverend Tate, the sacred life of contentment, son, it's a powerful thing. So don't despise it. The sacred life of contentment is a missional thing. And it's only for the child of God. The sacred life of contentment is a Christian thing. Uh, it's not for the non-believer. The sacred life of contentment can't be ruled by possessions. The sacred life says we are stewards of all that God has given to us, but the things he has given to us don't control us. We control them. So if he tells you I need you today, brother and sister Tate, pack up the bags. Roll up the kids. I got a church for you. I want you to pastor in Bakersfield. There ain't no arguing. Are you listening here? Because your commander in chief has summonsed you and has taught you already how to live the life of contentment. Am I listening here? Ain't no God when I got this house. That's his house. He'll put somebody else in it. Oh God, when I got this job, he's the one who gave me that job. He'll meet you when you need the next one. Are you listening here? I'm trying to get some of us to understand what it means to be a member of a five-star church is that you have total commitment and contentment in what God wants you and what God wants you to do. Can I park the car right there? The reason why God can't get us on his agenda to use us where he wants to use us is because stuff has you. And when God calls you to do something, you make excuses about why I can't leave here. Why I can't go there. Why I can't do this. But the child of God, who is the true disciple of Christ, learns how to be abased. They learn, yes, how to trust God. Because the sacred life of contentment can't be monopolized by circumstances. The sacred life of contentment supersedes any terrible conditions that they might find themselves in. And this is the kind of stuff, family, that the five-star church embodies. Well, I'm going to close when I give you this powerful verse. Verse 13. Y'all know it? Because we usually say it when we get discouraged. It becomes a verse of motivation. When the winds and the waves of life are beating you down. Come on, read it with me. Verse 13. Y'all ready? Read it with me. I can do Amen. When Paul comes to this portion of the text, we experience <coughs> Paul in the various circumstances of life. And he comes here to the general conclusion that he can do 
all things. You should circle that word all. Because it implies that nothing he's going through is going to stop his mission of living for God. A friend in my library dropped some very important news on me on this. He said, Wilson, Paul was never, yes, the victim of his circumstances. I just lost some of you. I did. I did. I know I did. Because some of you think you the way you are because of what your mama and them did. Or because of what your daddy and them did. Or because society, you was born on the wrong side of trucks, you got the wrong pigmentation. You, you know, you got, you got circumstances that hold you down. A man got his foot on your neck and all that kind of drama, right? Paul ain't no victim of his circumstances. Because he know who he is. And he's learned that God, yes, has ordered his steps. And that contentment has to be his teacher on his journey to heaven. So he learns the secret of peace and he's able to proclaim, I can do all things through Christ. A good word, strengthened right here, is another interpretation for the word who energizes. Ah, who energizes me. Have you ever seen the wrestler in the ring? Come here, Reverend Tate. Come here, Reverend Tate. You big, strong man. Amen. 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 Tate and I represents the Greek wrestlers, right? And if Tate and I are wrestling and he gets me down on the ground, right? Because I am the older, yeah, come on, say amen, more experienced wrestler, y'all with me here? I have a strength about the wrestling game that should help me to overtake my younger counterpart. I can do all things which strengthens me, right? But the proper word, strengthen in the Greek, is energizes. So though my circumstances have me down, uh -huh. when I believe that God, hey, help me, hey, Holy Ghost, it, it. has got me in the fight of life, yeah. the energy uh -huh. that comes from who he is yeah. is inside of me. And that energy uh -huh. helps me to withstand, win, and send him on back to his seat. Amen. Am I making sense right there? Y'all see the visual picture? Paul's in prison. He lost everything. He's getting ready to be beheaded by Nero. But here he is saying, I can do. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. All things through Christ who energizes me. Y'all catch that right there? The faith and the power to proceed in the face of circumstances is in Paul. The J.D. Phillips translation says this, Brown, I'm ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives in me. That's just good. I don't care who you are. Amen. I'm ready. Yeah, for anything through the strength of the one who lives in me. If you turn back to Philippians 2, when you get a chance, 12 and 13, you'll see that God can't work through Paul 
until he first works in Paul. Can I say that again? Before God works through you, he works in you. Yes. You got to have the word in you if you want God to work through you. Not only do you got to have the word in you, but you got to be a man or a woman of prayer. Because God works through the word. He works through prayer. And he works through your sufferings. I know somebody said, well, I wish he quit working on me, Pastor. <laughs> no, daughter, it's your season. And God's going to work through you, Sister Gray. He's going to work in you to work through you. Am I making sense there? My friend and I in this conversation, he suggested, he said, Wilson, if we depend on the power of prayer, or really, rather, I'm sorry, if we depend on our own power, he says, you're going to fail. Y'all catch that? He said, but if we depend on his strength, we can do all things through him. Because you ain't strong enough, Kiki. You ain't strong enough to overcome, Roy, the circumstances that you're facing. You ain't strong enough to handle this situation on your own. That's why you got to have a word in you. Come on, talk to me. And then through prayer, God will work through you. We're making sense right there. But this explains why Paul could rejoice, Sister Cooley, in being in prison. Because he learned the secret. Of the secure mind through the power of God. My friend, in closing, said these words. I thought I'd bring them to you. He said, Don't new beginnings this, Wilson. Paul could grow through any trial and perform any duty, subdue his own nature, and meet all of his temptations of prosperity and adversity because he had learned. How to live the life of contentment. Paul in this text, he ain't boasting you guys when he says I can do all things. He's not boasting, but rather he's resting. He's resting in the fact that he had learned how to view all things and to trust Christ in every situation. Is there anybody here today that can say I've learned the secret of my sufferings? But Dixon, is there anybody here, son, that can say, I've learned to have inner peace while surrounded by misery? Come on, somebody testify for me. Is there anybody here today that can say, I found the power of my salvation and it came through the season of my pain? Is there a witness here that'll say, preacher, I've learned not to lean on myself. And I can't make it when I trust my own wisdom. But every time I lean on the Lord, I find out I can do all things. Yes. Is there anybody here today that's tried to lean on him in spite of bad news from the doctor? Anybody here today had to trust him regardless to what things look like? Anybody here today find out that God will come through for you in the midst of your trial. <laughs> I found out, family, 
that God won't just lead you, but he'll guide you. He'll direct the circumstances of your life. And through the guiding and the leading and the directing of your circumstances, he'll strengthen you when it gets too much on you. As a child of God, we got to learn, Brother Nichols, not to shriek under any trial. For there is somebody who can strengthen us. As a child of God, we need to not yield to temptation. Because there is somebody, Andrew, that'll make a way of escape. As a child of God, we don't need to be harassed by sinful thoughts or unholy desires. There is a God who will lead and guide you in the midst of your storm. Well, I'm through preaching here, but I found an excellent story I want to bring to your attention. There was a very distinguished painter, and he was conducting a class for aspiring artists. He was speaking to the students one day on artistic composition. And he emphasized to the class that it was wrong, for example, to paint a portrait of a woodland, a forest, or a wilderness without painting a path out of the trees. He said, when true artists draw any kind of landscape, they always give the visiting, yes, spectator a way out. Because if they don't, the spectator will get tangled in the artistic design and leave depressed when they should have left with hope. Well, somebody here today, a bad artist has painted you the wrong picture. And your picture may look like the scope of your life is saturated with depression. Perhaps they painted you a picture where there ain't no way out of here. But I want to introduce you today to a new artist. The best Picasso there ever was. And I want you to see your picture with a whole different set of lenses. I want you to imagine your circumstances with a way out of your trouble. Imagine your picture today with an exit from your trial. Imagine your despair with a rainbow at the end of the journey. With the same one who can paint the rainbow, who can direct your path, is telling you today, put on a different set of lenses and see your trouble through the eyes of Jesus. Because Jesus is the same one who empowered Paul in the midst of his bad picture to know that there's a way out of no way. Jesus is the one who gave Paul an exit out of a Roman jail cell. Jesus is the one who gave Paul an exit strategy from the trials of this whole life. And I'm glad today that he's still in the artistic business.
life. God, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come unto me except my father draw him. He was painting a picture. I'm coming here today to sing to you painted me a picture inside of my jail cell. He called me, said, come unto me, all you who labor in a heavy land, and I will give you rest. Does anybody here know my Jesus? Won't Jesus take you a way out of your trial and temptation? I'm closing now, but if he could do it for Paul, then he can do it for you. If he can empower Paul, he can empower you. If he could do it then, he could sure enough do it now. The same power, the same power that ushered in Paul's resurrection from the dead is the same power that will lift you up, turn you around, place your feet on solid ground. I'm closing now, but I'm glad that Jesus painted his own picture. Somebody told me his light was dark, dismal, and gray. The armies of the world had turned on him. His disciples laid out on him. And nobody could stop the circumstances of God coming to take his life. The same Jesus, the artistic Savior, went through the darkness of life's forest, led him stretching to a cross, drove nails in his head, a crown of thorns on his head. The same Jesus took nails in his feet, a spear in his side, and with the finish line on his mind, He's painting me a picture 
that one day, one day on the other side of glory, I'm going to see his face and he's going to talk to me and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on up yonder. That's my Savior. That's my friend. I'm learning how to live the contented life. It's my course to make it to heaven. Nobody will see Jesus when I'm learning contentment. Nobody will get to heaven by missing this course. I'm a student. You're a student. All God's children are students in the life of contentment. I'm closing now, but I wish I had seven of you to go shake somebody's hand and tell them, neighbor, neighbor, don't drop out. Neighbor, stay in the course. Tell them, neighbor, your grade is coming. Study, neighbor. And then you'll be able to say like Paul, I can, I can, I can, I can do all things, all things, all things, all things who strengthen me. Trust in 